the latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider, brought to you by the Hyundai A-League. Be part of the action this season. This week's 442 Insider Podcast. I'm publisher Andy Jackson. Joining me as always is editor Aidan Ormond. Hello. And online editor Kevin Ayres. Well, hey. And very special guest this week, Fox Sports, Mark Rudan. Yes. G'day. Welcome, G'day. Mark. Welcome G'day. to the Green Colours. First time in. Yeah, absolutely. No, happy to be here. Yeah, it's, you do well uh, elbowing Adam Peacock out of the way. He's normally <laughs> our regular in here. Um, all right, we're going to kick off. We'll, we'll talk to Mark exclusively a little bit later, but let's... Uh, Kick off by reviewing the action from uh, round six. Kicked off on Friday night. Melbourne Heart uh, took care of Brisbane Raw. Um, 4-1. Three goals in eight minutes in the second half. Um, Brisbane. What's wrong with Brisbane Raw? Bottom of the league. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Raw pans out. I mean, we're obviously going to be talking about Sydney later on. But with Rado and Raw, there is the there was this aim to, for Ange to have left something established and it was going to be uh, a Rado was going to come in and it was a natural handover and he will take his time and then he'll get up to speed. I can't see any sign of things changing at the moment at Roar. Uh, it's not getting better as far as I can well, see. Well it is changing because they're bottom of the league. Yeah, well, <laughs> not in terms of since Rado came in. Uh, right. it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to be getting better. There seems to be a lot wrong there. Um, and you would think that uh, your money would have to be on him being the next coach to exit. But, as I say, it depends on what uh, Roar's philosophy is overall, uh, if they will give him time to, to build the side and uh, create his own style. But there just doesn't seem to be the man management skills there that needs to be. Mark, um, Mark you know, people were talking in the first couple of weeks of the season, Brisbane scored a couple of goals that they probably wouldn't have scored under Ange direct, bit more route one. People were saying, hey, this is the new Brisbane, mixing it up a bit. Players were talking about playing with a bit more freedom. But are we actually seeing the sort of downside of that now? Because well, you can't have half a philosophy. Mm. you know. And now it's like, once you give players that choice, are they going to start then making that choice in the wrong sort of times? Do you know what I mean? It's like, as a player, what, what do you look for in, in terms of the direction from the coach? Look, I think it's always important that the coach gives you clear directions, and I don't care if you're 17 or 35, you, you want to be directed and coached, right? So, you know, um, with Brisbane at the moment, yeah, yeah, I think they've tweaked it a bit. Now, we can see that, and as I mentioned, direct, the directness of their play has changed a bit. Um, the personnel haven't, uh, and that's, that's the most intriguing thing to me, uh, is that the same, same players, same sort of philosophy... I know Kev, you touched on, um, is he allowed to adapt his own philosophy to, to the game? Um, look, part of what Ange did had a lot to do with what Rado's thinking on football was as well. So mm. not much has changed there. I think uh, the biggest change has been their direct play more than anything else. Mm. I think they're lacking a little bit of discipline, if anything, mm. in their game. I think players are now uh, doing things that they probably necessarily didn't do in the last couple of years. Ange had this real stranglehold. And for me, he's probably one of the best man managers, if not the best man manager in the, in the competition. It's so important as well for a coach. I think Rado players still. My, my concern is that players still see him as a second in charge rather than the boss, yeah. and it's going to take a bit of time. Um, well, having watched his conference uh, or his presser after the game, um, a big part of me wasn't convinced with what he was saying and how he said it. 
and I think being a good actor is also part of your job. Um, it's it's got to be part of your makeup uh, as a coach. And I just think Rado has always been that nice guy. You know, everyone loves him. I spoke to Maury Craig Moore last week, and, and I said, you know, well, what's going on over there? And I think, uh, you know, everybody loves Rado as a person. I think the transition from assistant coach to head coach uh, has been a tough one. Uh, and I think it's no matter how you as a coach think of yourself, I'm, I'm sure Rado's thinking that he's the number one and he's doing everything his way and he's the boss. But how convincing is he to his players having worked with him, some like Massimo Murdoch for seven years now, mm. who knows him inside out, and he's yeah. one of the most senior players in that team. You know, So you know, is he getting his messages across? I'd, I'd say so. I think everybody understands the way he wants to train. It's always important to just tweak things. We saw Graham Arnold do that for a couple of years. They played with the same formation, and now we start putting a 4-2-3-1 type with two holding midfielders. I think it's always important for the players, particularly if they've been there for a long time, to change the way they think because if it becomes too monotonous in training, it becomes boring and players then lose that motivation as well. So I think what Rado is trying to do with that direct play this year has been important, but have the players been convinced with what they're trying to do? Probably not. You know, they won 5-0 against victory and we shouldn't forget about that either. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the game plan's there and it shows that it works. But I just think, you know, as a defender, you yeah. play as a defender, under Ange, it would have been, we don't play it long. So as a defender, you're really clear on that. Yeah, yeah. Now it's like, well, we can play it long when we need to. Hmm. So instinctively then, the times when you need to become bigger and bigger because you're like, well, I don't want to get caught here. So because where previously Andrew said, if you don't play this way, I'm going to drop you. Yeah. So unless you play out from the back, you're not going to play for me. Now it's like, well, yeah, you can play long. So are they now choosing that direct option, whereas it's probably not the right option, but it's the safe option? Maybe, yeah, maybe that comes down to confidence as yeah. well, I suppose, you know, and, and right now their confidence is shattered, let's, let's be honest, you yeah. know, there's a lot of things that they was working for and it's not working for them now when players are looking to get the ball off the goalkeeper under pressure, they're not taking it or they're not, you know, and you see little things like players not making that little movement to receive the ball, and that's like a confidence. Before, they used to look at getting into areas of space to try and receive, to try and play out. They're not doing that anymore, they're actually turning their head the other way and, yeah. and hoping that somebody else does that job for them, or goes in the opposite direction. Or it's just one player showing, whereas previously there'd be three. Correct, yeah. 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 I, know, I mean, let's, let's take nothing away from Melbourne Hot, it's a good performance, mm. you know, they, they, they had a couple of weeks where they, they sort of lulled a little bit, mm. but we're all back with this. Um, Richard Garcia, right, I'm going to throw a controversial one out there. Oh, great. I've got to interview him tomorrow <laughs> as well. Uh, bringing his Premier League nous, shall we say, or, in my words, diving. Well, I think, he, you know, I think he died for the penalty. I think he died for a free kick in the first half. You know, he pushed the ball past the player and was on his way down before the player had even set himself. So, question, you know, I, I didn't hear it get picked up during the no. sort of turn. But to me, I looked at that and said, he's learned that in the Premier League. They all do it. Mm. They push the ball past the player and they're on their way down before they've even got next to the player. Mm. So, question is, you know, if he wasn't a good Aussie boy, would we be sitting here talking about him as a diver? Hmm. Well, look, I didn't <laughs> see this, actually. I, didn't, I missed this sort of... Alleged dive. Um, I'll raise it with him tomorrow, though. If you, if you, he's an Aussie boy, though, Andy. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. You know. But I what I like, I think the guy, the, the defender left. If the one you're talking about is the one I can. There was think a free of. kick in the first half. Yeah, I remember. Just on the edge of the box, and then the penalty, you could argue he, uh, as well. The defender left his leg out, 
and he went to ground very easily, if I remember it rightly. But as a defender, you there can't was, take your leg away. If your leg is yeah. stood there like that and it's already planted, there you can't move it I'm with you with defenders, mate. I'm, 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 you know, I'm present on that group, mate, that's for sure. But I will say, I did think it was a penalty. Um, you know, once you've made a decision to put a tackle in, whether it be you know, half, half a second short or, or off or whatever, you run the rule or run the risk of, of concerning a penalty. And if a player's good enough then to, to find his way over your leg somehow. And it's happened numerous times, and, and yeah. we do it as defenders get upset because of it. But, you know, we, you put your hands up and say, you know, fair play, I was late with my challenge. If you're late, whether you're in the box or out of the box, free kick or penalty, whatever the case may be. And I just thought, okay. in that, in that instance, it was a penalty. I think it was just making certain that he got the decision that he wanted. I think that's, that's the grey area, is, you know, how far do you go to make it certain that the referee gives it to you? Okay. All right. Moving on. Have a look at it again. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Western Sydney uh, took the lead against the Jets, but couldn't uh, succumb eventually. Another Hesky goal. Although again, I'd argue that that was an own goal. <laughs> Comes back off the post. And I, I have to say, I thought it was an own goal as well. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was never going to go in off its own account. This is just going to run and run. This isn't it? It's just. It's <laughs> I'm a Villa fan. I know you are, mate. Joke. I know you are. Yes. I know. He scored nine goals in four years at Villa. Three and a half million pound a goal. Yep. Yep. I tell you, it's killing me. <laughs> um, Ryan Griffiths, uh, neat header, and then uh, Heskey, uh, a subtle flick at the near post. Um, but, I mean, let's talk about Western Sydney's goal, first of all. Yeah. My mind, goal of the season so far, certainly in terms of a team effort. Yeah, mm. I, think, I think we're seeing how Ono can now fit into that team. It's taken a little while, I think, for him to, for Popper as well, to understand how he plays him. But that, for me, with Gibbs as well, has come in as well. Um, yeah, one of the goals of the season, if not the goal. Yeah, it was a great team yeah. effort. It was lovely the way it was worked up uh, and the, the finishing. He won two in the box was just sublime, I thought. It was great. And how good is that? 9,000 fans. It sounded like 29,000. I mean, how good yeah. are those fans? Yeah, I saw even the Jet, Jets fans were hailing the uh, RBNB for the, the noise they'd made the entire way through the match. It's, uh, it's good. I mean, they really have managed to garner loyal, badness supporters after six matches. And let's, great. let's hope the club appreciates what they did, because I think there were some issues with them marching through Parramatta, which apparently they did. All right. uh, let's hope that they appreciate the support. And again, um, Aaron Moy has been a, a real plus. Um, disappointing that he, he didn't make tonight's Socceroo squad, you know, given that this is now the opportunity to blow it. I mean, I think he's been excellent. Yeah. And again, that move started with his incisive, quick ball forward into feet. Yeah, I mean, what have you made of his start to the season? Yeah, very good. Uh, I'm with you. I, I think uh, it would have been nice to see him at least part of the squad and, and understand if he doesn't get game time, fair enough. It'd just be there, you know, around Lucas Neal and the boys and Schwartzy and all the rest of them, just to understand what it's like to be part of a camp. Um, you know, we, we didn't really see too much of him last year because he was overseas as opposed to Tommy Rogic, right? So, um, you know, look, he's doing well. I think if you look at where he started um, from the first round to where he's at now, I think one thing that he's really improved on is what you just touched on, and that's getting the ball out of his feet and playing um, quicker, you know, instead of taking two or three touches. I do like the fact that he plays forward. Um, more, more often than a lot of other holding or defensive type midfields who like to go sideways or backwards. He's a very positive player. Great first touch. Nice, nice skill about him as well. Uh, quiet kid, uh, but very confident with his own ability. Popper tells me all the time, you know, he's had to work a little bit on his attitude uh, and things like that because he came in and um, when he set the team up, he was you know, pretty cocky. You know, he's very confident in his own ability and, and those around him. So he's worked with him. Uh, he thinks the world of him, Popper, as well, I must admit. Um, and I think now you're starting to see that combination, as you mentioned, with Ono. They're finding each other a lot better. And, and that goal 
purely by design the training paddock. I think as a coach, when you see that sort of thing happen, because goals come from different places, mm-hmm. but when it comes purely from what you've been working on the training paddock, it's a, it's a big plus for any coach. Yeah, I know, I know. We're sort of starting to now see Ono get match fit. Yeah. He hadn't, yeah. hadn't played a lot of games before he arrived, and now we'll start to see the best of it. I think every game is, this game is lifting uh, step by step, and yeah, hopefully... I mean, to be fair, when he was signed, there was a lot of Japanese football fans who were saying, yeah, a couple of years ago, great signing, not so much now. Uh, and I think that's been held up up to now. But those touches uh, last weekend were just sublime. Uh, and if that ca- carries on, you can build on that, then I think we're in for a treat. He's going to be up there to compete with uh, Del Piero and Heskey as mm. the main marquees. Mm. I think I also just wanted to say, I, th- I thought they did miss Beecham. Mm. You know, I think, I think clearly that would have been, you know, the man that would have picked up Heskey. So, mm. um, LaRocca, I can't even pronounce his first name, LaRocca, LaRocca. No idea what his first yeah. name is, but LaRocca, <laughs> yeah, that's still do. But I just yeah. think that they missed him on the weekend. I think, um, yeah, with, with the LaRocca, I thought he was okay, LaRocca, um, but I, I think Nikolai missed him more. So, if you look at the, the two goals, Nikolai was yeah. there, there and abouts, and, and he could have done a lot better, top of Stanley. And I think with Beauchamp being there, I think it's always important to have your partner in crime next to you, understanding your positioning yeah. and, and where you are in the community. Communication. So, from that from that aspect, I think that's where Nikolai missed him. Um, mm. Otherwise, I thought he was he was okay, Larocca. Okay, all right. Let's move on to uh, probably the game at around on the pitch, and certainly gave us the biggest talking points off it. For this part, we're going to focus on the on the pitch, and we'll talk about Ian Crook's subsequent departure in part two. But let, let's talk about what happened on the pitch, Kev. Um, it was all looking so good at one point. Uh, two goals. Yeah, I think the yeah, scoreline... Score flattering to deceive a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Even, uh, even when they were 2-0 up, uh, it was still very much flattering, Sydney. Uh, you could see that victory were on the front foot the whole way through. Uh, Sydney, so defensive, and it's such desperate defending, I, f- I found. You know, uh, Looking at the stats later... There was hardly any tackles put in. It was all clearances around the six-yard box, which seems kind of desperate to me. Uh, if you look at Victory's stats, they're clearing, they're clearing, but much further up the up the field. Uh, whereas Sydney, it's they've camped literally on the goal line to try and keep Victory out, and it was a reflection because Victory were rampaging for most of the game. To be honest, mm. uh, I thought uh, Sydney were much more impressive in attack when they did get uh, to break away. Um, but defensively, they just looked so frail uh, the whole time, and the goals were coming. You know, ten minutes from the end, uh, they got the breakthrough. Twelve minutes from the end, they got the breakthrough. And at that point, I said on Twitter, this could be a very, very long ten minutes for Sydney, and so it was. You could see it was on the cards. Full credit to Victory as well, though, for carrying on and pushing for the win. Well, I mean, Mark, that was one of the hallmarks of Angie's Brisbane side, ne- never beaten. You know, the old man, the old Ferguson, quote, you know, Man United are never beaten, we just run out of time. You know, that, that's the way he plays. You know, he made a, a positive substitution that he was rewarded with, uh, and they just kept playing. You know, they didn't resort to tonking it into the box, even when they were 2 0 down. They, you know, he, he's very much like, we play our way and it, it, and it will come, and it did. Mm. Um, I mean, are we starting? It's, it's quite funny, like charting the. The sort of raw graph and the victory graph. Are we now starting to see Melbourne 
get Angie's way of playing and see the benefit for that. Absolutely. I think so. Uh, I think there is a slight difference between Brisbane's formation and Melbourne uh, with Ange. Obviously, there's, you know, he had Barisha there, a proper number nine, a yeah. uh, proper striker. He's not playing with one as such. But he's still based around a lot of possession and movement um, and, and trying to provide width and, and trying to, you know, they pretty much go outside to in as well. Uh, but I will say this too. I mean, the, there was a lot of passing uh, in and around that 18-yard box as well with Melbourne. And, and you just thought they were, they were looking to pass their way into the goal. And it took a strike from outside the box to actually open up their account on the weekend. Um, and that's something that we don't normally see, um, not from Melbourne's play anyway, particularly in that game. So, you know, the kid had a go, you know, and, yeah. and, and, um, and, he, and he opened up the gates, you know, the, the, and then you know, went on from there. But Ange and, and the way he manages his teams, I'm, I'm sure of it now because it can't be just pure luck that the fact that these his teams keep believing that they can win games, whether it's the, you know, first minute or it's a 98th minute of a game. You know, they've just got this real pure belief that, you know, we're, we're always in this. Even if we're 2-0 down, we saw it in the grand final, you know, a couple of years ago, whatever it was. So, you know, that wasn't away from home. They had two days less rest than Sydney as well. Uh, I thought they were going to run off their legs, to be fair. When they were 2-0 up with 20 minutes to go, I thought, oh, this is going to be tough for Melbourne. But they just kept going and going. Unbelievable belief now that they've got, which I don't think the team had for, for a while since Muskie was in their playing ranks, um, in, in, you know, playing on the pitch for them. Don't want to talk too much about him anymore, mate. But um, no, great, oh, fantastic, uh, great spectacle, great for the fans, and I'm sure a lot of Sydney FC fans, although they would have been unhappy with the result, would have walked away and thinking, mate, I've got my money's worth there tonight. Oh yeah. I mean, if, you know, being in the stadium, um, I think that you know the Del Piero withdrawal, I think, has been overplayed. I don't think that was as significant. The significant moments for me were that, and it's my pet hate with coaches is, is defensive substitutions to hold on to a lead you know bringing it but you can argue he had no choice because the bench was had McClellan and McFlynn on it but my, my point of that is these are two players that started the season and have been dropped yeah yeah why are they the two players that you put on when you're trying to hold on to a lead you know when because you, you they had got a- tonked 7-2 the week before and I can see but, what he was thinking. I can me, see no, the logic the from his you, position the, the was, thing, I am not going to throw this lead away. No, I'm but, not going to throw this lead away. I'm going to shore up the defence, which is what I should have done no, last no. week. And I'm Kev, not going to make the same Kev, mistake again. But he did. By making those substitutions, he removed any threat of counter-attacking Melbourne victory. And the best way to hold on to a 2-1 oh. lead is to score a third goal. Oh, look, I'm no not, doubt about I'm not it. arguing and, and they, whatsoever. They, up until that point... They had still, like, Yao made that long run, Blake um, Powell had an opportunity when he should have passed and he didn't. They were still causing victory problems on the counter-attack and he removed that threat. And so all that that said was for those last 10 minutes, we're just going to batten down the hatches yeah. and you just come on to his victory. Yeah. And they're not good enough defensively to do Oh, that. I agree. I'm, I'm not defending him. I'm literally just trying to explain what in my mind what I thought he was trying to do and why he was doing it and I can understand the reasons for doing it but as you say if you bring in on players that have been dropped for good reason uh, then it's, it's a recipe for disaster and yes Del Piero should have been brought off without a doubt uh, he was dead in his feet and uh, needed to be uh, conserved uh, but yo I couldn't see any reason he was not in the slightest bit dead in his feet he'd just done a hundred metre dash up the pitch in record time I think he but Chris, so, uh, he and Chris said that he was said that he'd looked at the bench and said I've got to come off mm. well, and Pell yeah they both said they had to come off and I'm a bit with you there Kev I think uh, 
when you when you when you if your players are asking you to come off, you know we're talking about Powell. I mean he's he's young he's a young kid, you know, and we're talking about Yao who who played last week and you know I, I don't know I, I think. For for a long time, we're going to talk about sitting a little bit later. You got to you got to do your due diligence on on players. Now, if part of, part of that is getting character references on players too, mm. is Powell a strong? I mean, Robbie Stanton was his coach at Sutherland, right? And, and there's a few other coaches that he's had. Is he strong enough to go through a clean run run through a brick wall? All these little things that you, you know you have to understand the makeup of a player as well. Yeah, because there are different types of players. You know, there are players that put their hand up straight away that are, are saying, "Well, oh, I'm a little bit sore." Um, I want to go off, or you know, whatever the case may be. So, when I when I heard that, the first thing I said was, well, okay, but if the, if the players are saying that, there's not too much the coach can do. You can force them to stay in the park, but if or, they're asking to come well, off, what, or you can work with them to make sure they're fit enough to last 90 minutes. You know, yeah. that, that, you know, you've got to look back at that and say, well, why why can't these players complete 90 minutes? Oh, I think you know, heart's part of it, but. You know, when we had Anthony Creer on a couple of weeks ago, you know, we, he was saying he can't understand why A-League coaches are turning around saying their players are still underdone. Mm. Well, I think you know, we've had the, the longest off-season. Well, maybe they're not underdone. This, this is the thing. Maybe they're not. Maybe physically, according to, to certain people, they're, they're okay. It's just that mentally, these players, as soon as they feel that it gets getting a little bit too tough, they can't handle it anymore. But, Roots, I mean, it's a big blue, 21,000, the biggest game, arguably, of the season so far. Why wouldn't you want to push through for 20 minutes? If you're feeling tired and you're not feeling 100%, why wouldn't you want to? I push don't know. I don't, I don't get it, mate. And as, as, as players, I would have made sure that whoever was on the pitch, I would have made sure that you got into his head or into his ear and had a you know quite quite chat to him and said, "Come on, mate, give me another five at least, yeah. and, let, and then we'll just go from there." But just give me five of your best, and then you know, give him, and they'll stay on for another five minutes. And I send you, you know, might mm. ask them and say, "How you doing, mate? You're doing well out there." Just just give him a little bit of encouragement and mm. things like that. But I really think that the Sydney FC players are lacking right now. There's there's no one there that's really taking the game mm. and showing some sort of leadership and yeah. you know, and, and or putting their foot in the ball or, or doing things a little bit differently. You know, on that as well. You know, I think where the Del Piero substitution was significant was on that very thing because I don't know whether it came across on the TV, but what you could see was that away from play. Del Piero was coaching players on that pitch, and he was he was getting into him at certain points. You know, I remember once I went, I can't remember who it was, didn't give him a shout. He had a man on, and he got dispossessed in the middle of midfield, and he absolutely gave it to yeah. the player. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. He, like, yeah, like this. You could see what he was doing. He went off, yeah, and also it, then it then it just dropped. You know, and it wasn't that he was having a massive leadership on the game. game. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. with the ball, but it was what he was doing without the ball, and that just disappeared, and the, the team just deflated. I can't even life of me understand why he's not been given the skipper's arm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Emo is a brilliant guy and a great footballer, but he is he's quite a reserved, quiet guy by comparison. Uh, whereas Del Piero is larger than life mm-hmm. in everybody's faces. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it, it should be again just straightforward. Armband, there you go. Take it. What you were saying, Roots, about you know leadership. I thought Ado Leo, who listens to the show, mm. you know, what a leader he proved to be. Smashed in the face, I don't know how many times by the ball, and they had massive cut on his head, which he showed later on Twitter. Terrific. Um, and he he epitomised for me the victory spirit Absolutely. that Sydney didn't have. He kept going, and at the end of the game, I was actually watching him when the whistle went, and he was like on his knees with his hands up like that. That's what the spirit of victory is. Yeah, look, yeah. absolutely, and um, you know, you can obviously see a lot of Kevin Musket in, in the way Ado is, and, and a few other players in that club as well. And, and you know, whether you like Musket or not, he's still the heart and soul of that place, and, and, and a lot of what he <coughs> believes in runs runs true. 
um, for me, fantastic uh, to, to, to see what had occurred. I mean, we see a lot of head, head gashes and, uh, and a lot of things happening on the training paddock and, 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 and during the game as well. I, I just thought the way he, had, he continued on um, and, and the game that he played as well. In all fairness, as you guys have mentioned, it was a counter-attacking type of game. So for him, it wasn't as though he was backs against the wall mm. and defending for 80 minutes and uh, thereafter. Uh, but in saying that, he, he still led his boys uh, fantastically well and, and, and urged his players on. And the mere fact that he stayed on the park, all things considered, just shows what um, the type of character Ado is. He's a never-say-die type of person yeah. as well. Good, th- very good leader. I think the interesting thing with him as well this season is he's channeling his energy much, much better in a leadership role, whereas before he was taking the musket kind of leadership role where he would rush at the referee and it was all aggressive and uh, almost get himself sent yeah, off point. when he was contesting. Uh, things he's now much more mature in his approach, proper leadership, really impressed by him, and taking that uh, header in the uh, the free kick mm. with the head, head yeah. gash, and still getting up even after that, very impressive. Mm. And that feeds into the other players. I mean, you, you know that yourself, Bruce. I mean, it's, it lifts you when you see your leader just absolutely. going through the pain barrier. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be just your leader. I, I, you know, I keep saying it doesn't matter who it is. You know, whether it could be anybody, it could be a, a striker chasing down 40 metres to to defend a ball against an, an opponent, or it could be a pass um, that splits it open to defence. Uh, you know, those sort of things inspire players and, and makes you lift your own game as well. So it doesn't necessarily have to be the guy that wears the armband. All, all he does is just you know flick a coin and uh, you know. But you know, leaders obviously are the ones who who can either start something like that or carry it on or carry that message on. But leadership qualities or all those sort of things can happen from any one of the players, and I think that that message is quite important. That you know, everyone owns part of the team as well. You know, you've all got something to add, and if you can do something special on the field, it just may well inspire the person next to you. Okay. Yeah. All right. Excellent. All right. Well, let's move on. Mariners um, went to Phoenix. Difficult place to go at the best of times. Daniel McBreen. Fresh from his naming in the FIFA 13 <laughs> Ultimate Team of the Week. Continued his hot streak with another goal. Uh, great little flicked ball inside by Tom Rogic. Um, Ado. Typical Mariners. Yeah. Get the job done. Yeah. Minimum of thrills. Yeah. No fuss. Away win. Three points. Clean sheet. Let's come home. How good are they looking right now? I mean, you know, you win 7-2 one week, then you get a 1-0 win away from home, then they come home. I think they're playing, I think, Brisbane Raw next home game. Victory this week is the big one, which we'll talk later. But, yeah, look, um, for me, probably the most organised team in the league. Um, and the rotations between Rogic and, and McBreen was outstanding. And, yeah, we've got Tom in the, in the new issue of 4-4-2, just talking about him keeping a lid on this hype, but he's looking very good. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I think uh, Adelaide and Mariners look like they're going to run away with the, the season at the, the way things are going at the moment. Uh, Mariners, very, very impressive. Not, I mean, with the exception of the 7-2 win, obviously. Uh, not going for massive cricket scores. It's going to be a lot of 1-0, 2-1 wins, I think, over the course of the season. Probably more 1-0s and 2-1s even. Uh, but you know, apart from the seven-two, apart from the seven-two, <laughs> apart from the seven-two, but rock-solid defence. Uh, you know, everything's built around you know mm. a Matt Ryan, Svansvik, and uh, the rest of them in the back line, and then you know the the, the rest of it's developing nicely. This young mm. up-and-coming striker, Daniel McBrain, helping <laughs> could be a talent for the future, definitely. Was it Should Mc- we cap him? McBrain, Neymar, was it uh, Patrice Evra? I mean, how often do you get to be in the same team as that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's great. 
And Mark, what have you made of the Mariners so far? They've yeah. just carried on, really, haven't they? You know, don't break stride, minimal incomings and outgoings. You know, they, they just nothing seems to phase them. No, same old, same old. You know, I suppose, uh, you know, Arnie doesn't like it when we when people talk about his team too much and, and, and give him too much praise. Well, Arnie whinging? No, yeah. surely not. <laughs> Nor does he like it when you say something negative about yeah. him. So, <laughs> you know what, I'm going to be honest here and say Arnie's probably the best coach um, at the minute. You know, we, we know what Angie's like and, and we know what he can do. They're, they're always the best too, but what, what Arnie's doing for me uh, is different class. You know, he's, he's, he, he brings in players, the right players, uh, the right characters as well. Um, and you can just see in that, in that game against Sydney, what, what impressed me the most is you know, the scoreline blew out to, to 7-2, but still with 10 minutes to go, they were very organised. Each player knew their role, and each player was making sure they were doing their role to perfection too. Uh, and it comes down to the discipline. Uh, so it's very organised, very structured, and um, he, he knows what he wants. He's, he's a no-frills uh, type of coach, different to Ange in terms of his philosophy. We, when we've seen that, the way his team is structured and the way they play, uh, Ange is different in terms of his possession-based game and short passing and, and everything else and the movement off it. Um, nah, haven't David missed the boot. Yeah. And, and thoughts on, on Rogic? Yeah, everybody's talking about Holger's talking about let's not put too much on him, but that's fair enough. You know, and, and, I, and I don't mind that, but you know, when there's been so little sort of regeneration in the Socceroos, hmm. like I think it's good for people to be excited about a young Aussie player coming through. Be excited about Aaron Moy. Be excited about Rogic. Yeah, you know, without getting carried away. But yeah. these are the sorts of players that you know people will watch a Mariners game when they're not Mariners fans to see this kid play, and that yeah. that's what we need. You know, we talk about it. Who are we going to put on the cover of our magazine in two years' time? I'll look at the other way around. This is a kid that has got all of the attributes to go on and be a a really top, top player. Yeah, I I look at the other way around. I I think, um, sorry, it doesn't sound right, but I do agree that we think we should should, uh, look for heroes. It's important for young kids to aspire to to, and look for heroes themselves as well. And and, and we've got a part to play as well in in making sure that we fight the right right one. Uh, I think that's our biggest problem is making sure that we find the right one, not, not... come out and, and make a call too early. Mm. And I think with Tommy, I think we've picked the right one. Mm. I'll be honest. It's, it's not our job, to be fair, or the media's job, to be fair, to, to play things down. Sorry, Holger, it's your job. Um, and maybe the players around him to, to make sure that he's level-headed and he, or, he, or his parents or his, his family. That's their job, I, I believe, as well. So, you know, I understand where Holger's coming from, absolutely. But really, I mean... You know, having coached myself, and there's a lot of talk about certain players, I, I, I believe when I saw the kids sort of thinking, doing diff- things a little bit differently because of all the hype, it's then your job to make sure, and so, the players, to yeah, make sure that, that, hang on a sec, that's not what got you here. Exactly, yeah, you know, yeah. let's, let's understand you know, what makes you a special talent, and let's continue to work because you haven't really done... I remember, you know, Mark Viduka, you know, we, we were very close, we were best mates when we were younger, and there's a lot of talk about him when he got out of the Institute of Sport, and, you know, he was the next big thing, and we used to talk about it all the time, and Luckily for him, he had a, a playing group like Andrew Marth and, and a lot of experienced players around him who just nailed him. Mm. It didn't let him get to, too, too far ahead of himself at all. And I used to say, mate, is this all, all he's getting to you? He said, he can't. I come in and, and these, just guys, these guys smash my jaw. They, they just bring me down all the time. You know? So it's, the, it's their job as well, uh, particularly yeah. with the younger yeah. players like Svansvake, probably putting his hand around him and saying, hang on a sec, mate. Hey. But also I think you know, I, if, if he's going to make it, you know, he needs to make it now. You know, we're talking about, oh, well, well how long, Holger, do you want us to stay off this kid? Because top-class players in world football now are top-class players at 19 and 20. We're talking about Neymar, we're talking about Messi, we're talking about the best players that are coming through, Rooney, people like that. 
they were playing top level football at 18, 19, 20, you know, and arguably they're coming into their peak at sort of 22, 23, 24 now, mm. you know, and then, so I think, you know, I think we need to, you know, these kids need to be aware of what it takes to step up to the next level. And part of that is dealing with media attention and not letting it get to you. And as you say, people like Baduka took it in their stride and went on to bigger and better things at not much older than we're talking about with, with Tom Rogic now, you know, so. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, just one thing on that. I mean, you know, the pathway that Tom's taken to, to get where he is was not a traditional one. Mm. So it took a Nike talent search to find this kid. Does that suggest that there's potentially something wrong with our sort of talent identification and I mean bigger issue I know Andy this is a massive yeah you can, we can talk for hours <laughs> about about um, where players are coming and going and, and, and the pathway I mean <clears throat> and I'll bring, again back in the old days in the old NSL um, you know you had quite a number of teams in, in Sydney and, and Melbourne and, and these sort of places uh, you had seven clubs to choose from. You know, your pathway, you know, if you couldn't make it in one, just go down the road to the next one. Uh, and everyone you were exposed to, you know, the top two football in Australia a lot easier. Uh, these days, if, you, if you're living in Sydney prior to Western Sydney or even Melbourne before Melbourne Heart went there, there was only one way. Um, I can't stress enough the importance that each each club has to have their own um, pathway and, and, and uh, youth um, development squads as well. So kids understand that there's, this is the way um, forward and this is the way we can go through it um, up to this level. Because right now there's a lot of young juniors who are playing for different respective clubs and, and I've got the dream of playing for a club but really don't know what the pathway is and what the right way is. You know, Back in the old days in the NSL, each club had their own youth system in place and you knew that you know that's that's the end goal if that's the team that you wanted to play for but if I do if I play my cards right if I continue the way you know and work hard I can step up to the youth team the under 19 side and then you know hopefully the first grade side there thereafter but small number of players so smaller pool um, the youth team as well there's only 10, 10 youth teams uh, across the whole board so a lot of good players a lot of talented players are, are getting um, are missed uh, unfortunately they're then finding their way into the Premier Leagues the respective Premier Leagues in each state as well and there are a lot of good players playing in the state leagues but unfortunately a lot of coaches don't look at them mm. And Tom's one of them who, you know, is a, is a Canberra boy. Uh, where's their pathway? They, they really have, haven't really got one, you know, and they have to make the move to, to Sydney or to Melbourne to just get noticed. And his way of getting noticed, as you mentioned, was going through the Nike Challenge um, and, and did, it, did it that way. Uh, it, it's not easy. I speak to a lot of, uh, lot of young players as well uh, around the New South Wales Premier Leagues, and they're finding it really, really tough. You know, they're asking for advice and... You know, if they don't make it into the youth team, then, you know, if they're 21, they can't make the youth team, then what chance have they got of playing A-League? You know, and that's 21, mm -hmm. you know. And, and as you're right, because they, they should have been playing by the age of 17, as we did, or 18, making NSL debuts. It's going to be hard to find a 17, 18-year-old these days getting a debut. I mean, we saw one okay with victory in the boot, you know. With, yeah. with, and that comes down to the coach and whether he's got enough confidence in, in a young player or not. A lot of, there's so much pressure on coaches as it is to make sure they get the results these days that they're not, they're going to overlook a young player more so than, than, than most. So is the youth team the right way to go? We, we, we see a lot of big turnover in, in, in players who actually do have youth team contracts in the A-League who then don't go on to get first grade contracts who then are lost out, mm. then have to go out and play Premier League football and then pretty much give up hope on their dreams. And I just think the pathway right now is, is, for me, is wrong. I think every club needs to have their own development squads underneath underneath it and then maybe pick the best 
young players and then work with them and, and mm. one drops in or drops out as they get, get older. And, it's and also then developing your own assets, you know, just from a yeah. business perspective. Yeah. It makes sense. You know, absolutely. It, it, but it does and also, because I spoke to one owner, which, I'll say, which, I'll, which I won't name who it is, and I said, why don't you have um, this, this developed or why don't you have this organised? And he said it costs a lot of money to, to have a, a development squad. Um, right through the age groups and why should we do that when all we need to do is go and, and pick out a Premier League player and it's only going to cost us 3000 and that club may have developed him for, for 10 years but we get him for three grand, you know. Yeah. So why should we go and spend half a million dollars on the development squad um, and, and get facilities and, and coaches and everything else when it's only costing us three grand and somebody else is doing all the hard work for us. But then we look at who are, who are we lauding as you know, doing everything right and who's the only team in their own centre of excellence, which is the Mariners. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and yeah, also, who, are, who have probably consistently since Laurie McKinnon's time there mm. Newcastle picked, have done it as well. Now, scouted you know, and picked up you know, yeah. the best young talent coming through the state leagues. It's and they've the also Mariners. got the, uh, the Central West Mariners uh, young yeah. team as well, yeah. West. I mean, I can remember when Laurie McKinnon was, um, was, was coaching Mariners, him coming down and presenting at the Guy Mia Football Club Awards. This is in the Sutherlandshire, 30 kilometres Absolutely. south of Sydney. Yeah. But he was willing to come down and do it because he was like, we were a club in New South Wales, you know. They did a lot of things right. Gossip, a lot of things you know? right. Yeah. 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 And at Sydney FC, when, when before Western Sydney were in there, should have really learnt a lot of the things that, that Central Coast were doing, particularly the work in the community. Um, you know, and not to say that we didn't do that in the first year, but Sydney's a larger place as well. But we did do a lot of work. But I just think that after the first year, pretty much stopped our community work and, and our programs that we went out to different places um, and then tried to coach the juniors and everything else. But uh, it's it's uh, you know things aren't built overnight, and Central Coast uh, are a team that's been consistently successful. And not a lot of clubs can say that, and there's a, lo- a big reason why because they're so entrenched in the community. They've got a certain uh, philosophy about who they bring in um, into the club as well. And I'm going to say, I know Dickhead policy. I think and Laurie McKenna started that, and Graham Arnold believes in that completely. Um, and they do so many things correctly, and. Um, I just, I just don't like the fact that they, they're always under the radar. I'm, I'm not, you know, and that's, that's Graham Arnold. I know what Arnie's like. I've been, I've been coached and played with him in Northern Spirits, so I know what that's like. So let's just get, get out of that, right? Because they are the favourites for the title now. I'll go, yeah, I'll go yeah, and say yeah. that. No, they are the agree. ones to beat. Yeah. I, sh- I should just say, Rogic, Naboot and Goodwin, three players who basically didn't come through the development system. Three of the best young players in the league right now. True. Okay, final games. We're nearly 40 minutes. Oh, my God. 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 Oh, my Absolutely brilliant to see. Really good, you know, the, the effort that went into creating those banners for that day. You know, so to the fans out there that, that were part of that, well done. Um, on the pitch, Kev, Adelaide, you know, this was a tough test for them. Glory, uh, you know, have been playing well. Um, they didn't lose the game. They couldn't find a way to win it. But we're now seeing them deservedly top of the table, proving us wrong every week. Yeah, uh, Adelaide. We, gave Adelaide, we didn't give Adelaide much hope at the start of the season. <laughs> <laughs> the fans have been reminding us on Twitter ever since. Uh, no, Adelaide uh, continuing to go from strength to strength. Uh, I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's probably two points lost from their perspective. They should probably have won that on paper. But Perth Glory proven to be a very, very strong side uh, also this year. 
uh, travelling, getting points on the road, something that they struggled to do uh, in the past. Uh, I think, yeah, we're looking at the top four as we as they stand at the moment. I think could probably be the top four at the end of the season too. Mm. And Billy Mehmet's just <coughs> you know, continuing to prove what he can do. Is it too mm. simplistic to say that you know? Let's look at the uh, the top four: Mariners, Adelaide, Jets, Glory. In those four teams, you probably you've got consistency at coaching level. Um, you've probably got coaches that you wouldn't say are too nice. You know, we've talked about. Ian Crook and we talked about Rado, you know, have they got that ability to... Well, Popper's not nice, they're in seventh yeah. place, let me tell yeah, you that right now. Yeah, but it's, it's the first season, you know. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, are yeah. we seeing the benefit here of some consistency, you know, for the Mariners, Adelaide, Newcastle, Glory, that that, that starts, you know, we see it in the Premier League, you know, like with yeah, Ferguson the, and Wenger, you know, that, that consistency where everyone knows what they're doing, everyone knows their role. Yeah, look, the top five teams are also teams that were there from day one as well. Yeah. So um, that's that's, uh, that's that's something there, uh, and a lot of the coaches have been around and um, for a long time as well. So uh, just one point that I wanted to make—that's yeah, a fair point. Sorry to go, get off that question yeah. about Adelaide and and, and John Cosmina in particular. I think the thing that's most impressed me about about Cosie is the fact that his 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 mentality has changed. Yeah, for a long time, the, the, the teams that he's coached have been real tough. Top of players, winners, the Carl Vitz, the Ross Aloisis, the Fernando Rex, the guy, the, you know, the Shinking Chews, and these sort of guys, the guys who didn't mind getting into a, a battle mm. and, and would, would, you know, run through a brick wall for him and, and do anything for him. He was that type of coach, and, and was looking for those type of players to play under him. Yeah, the times have changed. I think he's mellowed down a lot as well. And the yeah. players that he's brought in, like Karuska and Geronimo, and you know, he's been over the top of these signings. So he's looking at things a little bit differently now. Well, he's doing, doing his A license, of course. So it mm. probably brought a different perspective to uh, the way he coaches. Uh, I think the other impressive thing about Adelaide is they're, they're getting these results. They're doing so well. While there's still a bit of disharmony within the team, by the looks of things, with uh, Sergio Van Dyke's future up in the air, uh, and somebody else's. I can't follow that. He's out, he's in, he's out again. Cosie blasted the media for see. asking the question at the presser after the game, so mm. you know, Cosie hasn't changed entirely. Not with the media anyway, but <laughs> in, in, in the way he looks at uh, things. But yeah, look, yeah, Sergio's been, a, it's been one for a while where. You know, he's sort of been in and out, out more than more than in, really. But um, he still keeps giving him his chance. It's always, it's tough for a for a player when you've got a coach. Um, you always want to feel wanted and and loved as a player, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll say that um, in the nicest possible way. You, you want to know that the coach respects you and likes you and, and believes in you. Most importantly. Uh, when you play and when you don't play, I mean, every, every coach is different in the way they manage their teams. Do you know you got coaches who? Who like to live and make you feel as though you're on the edge. You know, you shouldn't be too comfortable um, with anything that you do. Uh, and then there are coaches who, no matter what you do, you know, you're going to be playing. You know, they understand that you're very important to their team. And with, you know, whether you win, lose, or draw, you're going to be in that team. And um, you know, for, for players like Sergio Van Dijk right now and, and Bruce Jutte, um, it, it's I think it's it's a byproduct of just the amount of the amount of strikers they've got at their disposal and they can play in that front line. He's played with a couple, and more often than not, he plays with just one up front. John Ramo can play there. Vidicic has been playing up there as well, so he can move a couple of players around to play in that position. So I just think it's it's the fact that he's got a lot of uh, options at the moment. It's a hell of a talent to be squandering though, it? with Sergio. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I think any other team would give their eye teeth to yeah. have him up in front line. Hmm. All right. Yeah.
Well, that is a mammoth part one. We might have to cut short part two. Um, but look, we'll be back after this to talk about some of the main news headlines and what's been a busy week off the pitch as well. So uh, join us after the break. This month's 442 gives you a rare insight into the mind of a football genius in our world-exclusive interview with Lionel Messi as he shares his goal-scoring secrets. We name the best goals ever scored by each Premier League and A-League team and pick our best Aussie goals in the EPL. Relive some of the best last-ditch goals in football history. And there's even an interview with one of the most in-demand strikers, Radamel Falcao. If you live, sleep and breathe football, then you need 442. On sale now at all good news agents and the App Store. The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello, welcome back to part two of this week's Mammoth 442 Insider podcast. Uh, This week was another... uh, Monumental week at the FFA with David Gallup uh, taking over the reins. Disappointed to me he was a West Brom fan. He's <laughs> got a lot of work to do to get my vote after that. Um, but at least he supports someone. Yes, he yeah. actually knows what the f- football looks like. Uh, you were there? Yeah. Were you impressed with his, uh, his, his opening uh, address? When Gallup was at the NRL, I really liked him as an administrator. I thought he came across as a decent man who was always trying to do the right thing, who was constantly being let down by the idiots that surrounded him and played the game uh, in the NRL. However, he himself always seemed to do the right thing or tried to do the right thing. So in those terms, I'm glad he's come to, to football. It would be nice to have a, you know, a football-born and bred administrator, but... If we've uh, got to look elsewhere, uh, Gallup's a good guy. Somebody else made an interesting point that um, it's better to have somebody from a rugby background than an AFL because there is more of a world view, at least with rugby. Similar problems with uh, in rugby league where you know players being taken overseas, taken to other codes, and uh, things like that. I, problems that will cross the boundaries, at least uh, with uh, for football. Um, in general, though, when uh, we were at the, the, the launch, uh, his unveiling, he came across very well, I thought. Um, got a lot of hope for him. Uh, seems a good guy who's aware of the issues of facing the game. He is coming in. He's very lucky that he's coming in this season uh, when things are running very well this season, it has to be said, uh, which is probably forerunner to something going horribly wrong again. <laughs> but, uh, you know, compared to, to last season or the season before, uh, he's Buckley's left with the wet sail, as we said, in our piece. He's come in. Uh, he's got a chance to hit the ground running without any immediate problems to actually fires to put out. So, yeah, um, it's a good good time to come in. Yeah, Mark, on the, on the football man versus non-football man at the helm, do you, do you believe it's that significant, or is it more important that he surrounds himself with people that understand the game and the history of the game and, and he takes the right advice yeah a bit of both I'd, I'd like to see the day where a football person um, you know takes the reins there and he's the CEO of the company but again it's very important that we get the right person for the job I think that's the most important thing you know uh, and right now uh, you know um, I think uh, as Kev said uh, David Garp is probably the right man um, he's got a lot of experience and, and I, I for one uh, you know, I'm an avid sports fan. You know, so I watch all sports, and and obviously my love for football is is quite deep. But um, the league, and he was always at the forefront. You know, something that I think Ben Buckley, Ben, ben Buckley, um, sorry, <laughs> 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 the bubbly Ben Buckley, right? <laughs> probably probably didn't do all all, all, all that often. Um, 
you know. So I think we would definitely we'd, we'd, not edit that. <laughs> just telling you now. Don't, mate. Don't. They need to. Um, Brilliant. He was. Yeah, I think. I think David was right at the forefront, particularly when things went wrong with it, with his code at, at rugby league. He was there. Um, he, he was right in front of the cameras. Um, he took all the questions, and you know, you, we, you want someone to to, to back uh, your game. And to, to, to stay strong and, and be there, uh, whether it's good, bad, or otherwise. And I think he did that. And I, and I, I, I saw a really strong leader uh, when I saw David, someone that really protected his code and his game. Um, and hopefully he does the same with ours. I'm sure he will. And he's, as he mentioned, uh, surrounding himself with some good football people. Uh, and that's very, very important. Um, particularly, our game is different to any other code. Uh, it is played all over the world. It's the number one sport. You know, we do have. Um, the women's team as well, uh, which a lot of other codes don't have. Um, I know the, uh, the rugby union, there is a girls team as well, but I think there are just so many different uh, aspects to, to our game that he has to look over and, and cover. It's not an easy job for anybody, but um, I think we've got uh, a high-profile one, someone that's... Um, and again, if we want to be a mainstream sport um, like AFL, or get it, we would need to then work with people like this, who, who everybody understands as well. You know, Im- imagine we've got someone that as a football person, but no one really knew who it was. You know, we need the game to sort of transcend through all the codes and, ma- and make sure we're we're on on par with these with these other codes as well. Um, yeah. And that's very important too. Yeah. I think for me, I mean, the main thing is is that he's a good administrator first, and yeah. a, a football person is a bonus. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, okay, Ada, let's talk about obviously outgoing CEO Ben Buckley. Kathy Stone's done a piece on the website. Probably. Bubbly yeah, Buckley. Buckley. <laughs> um, Kathy's done a piece on the website uh, today, sort of looking, cataloguing what she considers to be his sort of successes and failures. In the failure column, we've obviously got the World Cup bid, um, the club issues we've had, expansion, fury, um, you know, lack of cut through uh, from him sort of personally. Uh, we've already talked about the fact that David Gallup seems to be a, a much more sort of out there person in terms of, you know, with, promoting and defending his code when it needs to be. In the success column, Western Sydney Wanderers with a provisional tick at the moment. Still early days, I think, to say that that's a success. Uh, the broadcast deal, which we believe is about to be announced imminently. Um, the A-League, you know, post-World Cup, the focus back onto the A-League appears to have worked. Um, the berry in the hatchet with some of the club owners, you know, Nathan Tinkler, Tony Sage... Um, and a you know and a new era of the game you know uh, overseeing the move into the Asian Federation the W League Youth League um, where do you sit on the, the the overall tenure two out of ten two out of ten yeah yeah I thought he I thought he failed I think he uh, I mean first of all just with Galp he's coming in at a time when uh, you know Sydney FC players are on the front cover of the Daily Telegraph today talking to Elton John you know he's coming at a very high level but that wasn't. That wasn't because of the FFA. That was because of agents who delivered the deal to clubs, the three agents who got Heskey, owner, and ADP to Sydney. So for me, he was always uncomfortable in the media. He never really looked like he believed in what he was doing. Um, uh, so I, I think overall, um, it, it's been, a, it's been a, a time where we, uh, we haven't gone back, but he certainly could have done a lot better. So I, I think it's been very disappointing, his last, was it five years? Five yeah, years. Kev, out of ten? I, I think the FFA at the moment has actually done quite a good job uh, over the past five, six years. However, I'm not 
I think that's because a lot of things have lined up well for them. I don't think a lot of it's necessarily down to Buckley uh, as an individual uh, leader. Uh, in terms of his own leadership, yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily say two out of ten, but I'd probably go for four or five out of ten. Um, I think, as Edo says, he was always uncomfortable in the, the media spotlight. He never went to any games. You know, I think <laughs> fundamental thing if you're the head of a sport, you go to see games beyond the but simple grand the final. As well, there was just such a corporate message every time he spoke. There's no passion. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he he didn't understand the game. He didn't enjoy the game. Uh, as an administrator, he got certain things set up efficiently and professionally. Uh, but without any feeling for football as a sport, I felt. Uh, and as I say, you know, the, the things that did come off for him were things that happened to line up well. Uh, there were, it was the dedication of the people in Western Sydney that made mm. Western Sydney a success that it is today. Not Ben Buckley. Ben Buckley having the, the balls to go and say, right, we're going to put a club in Western Sydney and we're going to do it in six months. That was a good thing. That's probably but, lowy though, wasn't and it? And get the government money to, yeah, to fund it. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of actually making that a success, that wasn't Buckley. Mm. Uh, I just, I just think my personal is that I, I, I agree with everything that you said. I, I, I personally felt that after five years of being paid whatever, reportedly a million dollars plus a year, I'd expect someone if they were selling plugs to be able to stand there and sell it passionately and care about it and I, and it never really felt that I did no. but I do think that the the shadow over the whole of the last 5 years was the world cup bid you know and I think it it, it was so all consuming for everyone involved yeah. that it it could have been such a game changer yeah. but just reaching for it meant that the A league suffered and I, and I think I I think it's difficult to sort of separate too because they were so I think, entwined. You know, I think everybody hails the, the World Cup bid as his biggest failure. And yes, to a certain extent, it was. But I, I think there is an overreaction to it, uh, and especially from people who deliberately choose not to understand the, the voting system. The fact that we were eliminated first with one vote is actually testament to how strong the bid was because Qatar saw that we were the strongest competitor to them and went all out to get rid of us first so that it was not a head-to-head -head battle with uh, Australia versus Qatar in the final round because that way they stood a chance of losing. You eliminate your, your strongest competitor at the beginning and as a result, their vote actually went down as the voting went on because of that, uh, because, you know, they made sure that everybody was bought off in, 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 uh, in uh, uh, terms of argument and debate um, <laughs> uh, to make sure that Australia didn't get beyond the first stage. Um, the World Cup bid, if it had come off, and I still think we actually got much closer than the, the voting appears. If it had come off, it would have changed football for Absolutely. Like in this I country. Absolutely. I don't think anyone can argue with that we needed. To, you could argue whether we did the best job. Yeah, I mean, but I think, bringing you know, in going for the World Cup, nobody kangaroos, would disagree with that. Nicole Kidman, stuff. I just don't understand why people thought football people would be interested in cartoon kangaroos and Elle McPherson and Nicole Kidman. 
focus on the football. We've got a big, we have a big football tradition. We should have focused on that. Uh, however, yeah. that wasn't still this, cringing about it was, Cole, it was a combination of Barry, Buckley's lack of understanding of football, Lowy's drive and determination to try and get this World Cup as his legacy uh, that was behind that. His biggest failure, in my opinion, was Fury, uh, North, uh, North Queensland Fury. That shouldn't have been allowed to fail. Uh, and the fact that we kept Gold Coast United going at Fury's expense is something that I would never forgive him for, to be honest. That should have been an easy decision. Gold Coast United, see ya. Palmer, if you want to still fund a, a football team, there's Fury. You know, you've got mining concerns up there. You're already sponsoring the team. Take it over. There's football people. There's 7,000 people were turning up for football there. 2,000 people turning up for Gold Coast United. It's, it should have been a no-brainer. 2,000? Lucky it was even 2,000. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, mixed views on that. So, uh, But anyway, welcome to David Gallup. Uh, wish you every success uh, in the new role. Um, let's talk. We talked about off the pitch. Uh, we would discuss uh, Ian Crook's departure. Um, Mark? Obviously, uh, news of this sort of got out mid-morning on Sunday, and then Sydney called a press conference. Um, it's sort of, you know, being at the ground on Saturday, there was a fair bit of anger from some of the supporters. He copped a bit on the the, the way, as you would expect. You know, they've just seen their team lose again and capitulate from a two-nil lead. But once someone sort of does what Ian did on that Sunday morning and says, "Look, you know, this was, you know, this this was a bit beyond me. I'm putting my hand up now. I'm doing what's right. It's difficult for that anger to stay. Yeah, and we might have put on Twitter. It reminded me a little bit of Keegan's resignation in the toilets at Wembley after England had just been beaten by Germany, and he came out and he resigned in the toilets that day to to the CEO of the FA. And then at the press conference said, "I thought I had what it took at international level, but today has just proven to me that I don't have it." And so therefore I'm out, you know, and so you've got to applaud his honesty and, and in that, you know, and um, I mean, what, what was your view on it as it sort of unfolded? I thought he showed a lot of humility and honesty um, in, in, in the presser. Um, I know I know what uh, Ian Crook's about, um, played with him at Northern Spirit and then um, obviously was coached under him in the first season at Sydney FC, then went to Japan with him and, and Pierre Lebarski as well, so... I'd say um, I know him quite well. Look, he wasn't shy in saying in his first in the first press, press conference when he when he was when he was signed on that he wasn't the first choice FC coach. Not not, not a lot of coaches would say that. So you know, a lot of coaches, a lot of people got big egos. Ian definitely hasn't got a big ego. I'll say that about him. Um, my only concern is that my conversations with Ian and I'm and. Look, you know, it's is. I remember asking him quite clearly uh, in Japan because I was, had already started thinking about coaching myself and had been doing that for a long time and had kept a diary of a lot of sessions and everything else. You know, the question is, where do you see yourself as a coach? Are you a head coach? Are you a two IC? Are you a youth coach? You know, everyone's got um, something about them where they believe that that's that's their way to go. And um, and he he said to me, I'm second in charge, mate. You know, I'm an assistant coach. So I think that's the best thing for me. Um, and he was quite clear in that. And then he went to Norwich, obviously, as an assistant, to, and then came back and, and assisted the Corica at Sydney FC youth team and <coughs> assisted Lavichka. And then, and then all of a sudden, you know, almost through default, Steve Bradbury, like, you know, he, everyone fell over and he, he sort of became the top man at the job. My question is, <coughs> you, you know, you make your bed, you've got to sleep in it. Okay, so if you really didn't want the job, you, you, you know you know just how much pressure there is to, to coaching a club like Sydney FC. It's unlike any other. Okay, 
Uh, so many coaches, CEOs have come through the club chairman. You, you know what the place is about. They demand success. They want success. Now, if you can't <clears throat> put your foot down, you know, be strong in your in your thoughts, be strong in the way you deliver them as well. Um, it's very important that, and I, I just think that, you know, with Ian, he's such a nice bloke. He really is such a nice bloke. And he listens to a lot of people and values a lot of people's opinion. Um, and, he, and he doesn't want to have people that are unhappy with him as well. And uh, when you look at that, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's, you know, nothing at all. But when you're looking at a Sydney FC job and you're looking at what sort of character you want and, and what are the, you know, the positives and what, what are sort of things that we're looking forward to, to lead this Sydney FC team, you know, are these the sort of people that you want in charge? And obviously his work speaks for himself. At youth level, he's fantastic. He's great working with kids. As an assistant coach, it's great to have a laugh with. He's, it's unbelievable the amount of players as an assistant coach that would walk up to him and feel as though they can talk to him openly to try and find out what's going on with themselves and everything else. And um, that's sort of the role of a good assistant Coach, and that's it, right. is that is that that's conduit right. between the, yeah. the, the gaffer and, yeah. and the players. You know, so I'll so. go back to saying Sydney FC, please, you know, did you really have a plan B in place when, when Graham Owen was your man? And, um, and it, which tells me, well, not really, because I know Popper was asked and, and was interviewed for the job, and then Gary Van Egmon was, was spoken to as well. Mm. And, uh, and then, okay, well, well, there's no one else really around. I don't think they had a plan B, let's be yeah, honest. You, yeah. you had Graham Arnold and, and that was it. And then if we don't get him, well, we'll, we'll see what happens. But And, and we've seen now uh, what has happened to the club. Ian Crook now leaves and walks away. Um, and, you know, speaking to a player he, that was quite disappointed with that as well, he said, well, he's left us in the lurch. We mm. could have, we could have hung, he could have hung around here and we could have all stuck together through this. But also there's, no, there's no argument that the job that he took was very different than the job he ended up being asked to do because the signing of Del Piero transformed you know, what is already a high-pressure, high-profile position into one that probably took it beyond what he felt comfortable with in the, the level of expectation that went up on Sydney FC on the signing of one player, is, as the table doesn't lie, right. is unrealistic. I'll say you know? this then. If you, again, if you're going back to announcing and getting a club, uh, a coach for your club, You've got to be strong in, 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 in that as well. You've got to make sure that if you back him, you back him with everything that he believes in as well. So Crookie's come in and he said, this is how I want to play. These are sort of players that I think will suit, depending on who's out there, the way we play. Um, Del Piero comes in. Okay, this, this is what I'm talking about, being you know, strong in your thoughts and, and making sure that um, nothing will sway you, no matter what. If, 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 the, if the president, chairman, whoever comes in and says, Del Piero, do you want him? All right. I know for a fact a lot of coaches wouldn't have taken him on. They wouldn't. They don't care about what the, the fans and, and what they believe is going to be deemed because this comes down to whether you're going to be successful or not in, as a coach, and it's not an easy one either. I know a coaches out there that would say no, would have said no to Del Piero, and a lot of the fans wouldn't have known about it either. A lot of the media wouldn't have known about it. But because maybe they're in, not insecure, but they don't believe that someone like that fits in their style, hmm. a coach should have then said, right, Del Piero, no. Don't want him. Doesn't I don't believe that that's what we need for for our team right now. This is what we're working towards. We're trying to uh, work this way with it. I've already bought a number ten in in, in Kruno Lovrick. So what what am I going to do with Kruno now? You, you've just lost yourself x amount of dollars because they played and the not, same we're positions. We're not in a, in a league where you can ship those afford players out or, or afford to lose that sort of money yeah. either because every club's you know is bleeding at the moment. So 
he created a bigger mess than what it actually ended up being for Ian. You know, Kruno then was playing in a play in a, in a position that was foreign to him. Um, it didn't work out that way, I believe, anyway, having two very similar type of players playing together uh, in a system that wasn't working either. He kept going with it. And, and part of that is that, you know, a lot, of, a lot of pressure was coming on top of him from a lot of different people. It's not working. These guys aren't working. But it's a byproduct of bringing out Del, Del Piero in and trying to find a place for somebody else who plays in exactly the same position. So sometimes, a lot of the times, you create your own monster as well. And so as a coach, I think, you know, I mean, Popper was asked, do you want Michael Ballack? Okay. And yeah. big superstar Popper's as well. Popper's turned down, I think, three as far as I can, I'm aware. Yeah, that, that's right. There's, there's some big players that he's turned down, and not for any other reason that he doesn't believe that is very strong in, in saying, right, this is my team, this is my philosophy, this is how I believe we should play. Also, he, co- you know, he did call Michael Black himself and found out a lot of things. So I know there's a lot of media around saying, oh, well, he didn't want him. Well, there are reasons why he didn't want him, and he didn't really want to go into him. And I said, Pop, why don't you just, just say it? Just tell him the reasons. He said, what for? Mm. I know the reasons. I know <laughs> the reasons. And also, we, we talked about Western Sydney, and one of the brightest points of their season so far, the emergence of Aaron Moy. Would Aaron Moy have played every week if Michael Ballack had been here? True. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All, all those so sort of things. You know. We, you know. You need to balance that yeah. up because you bring over a Michael Ballack, and the, you know the, the, the assumption is he's going to play every week. Mm. So otherwise, why is he here? Yeah. I just you know? yeah, absolutely. And there's a whole range of reasons as to why things work and why they don't work. I just want to make it clear: Del Piero has worked. Please don't think I don't think it's worked. That's that's, he's been a, a revelation for this league. You know, people around the world are talking. I'm getting phone calls from Europe, you know, saying, you know, is there any chance uh, of getting me a job or get me a gig in the A-League and stuff like that? You know, he, he really has been brilliant, the, the sort of stuff that he's given. But I, the conversation is about Ian Crook, yeah. right? And, and, and uh, yeah, he agreed to it, and, and, and Pineda said that as well. But I, I think, you know, it goes back to Crook's inexperience as well because no coach in his position really could turn around and say, no, I don't want Del Pierre. Um, you know, it's my first season yeah. in charge and I'm going to overrule the, the CEO and everybody else and say, no, I don't want Del Pierre. He had to take him. He had to try and deal with it. And he just turn around and say, well, it is your team that hasn't played a game under you yet going to get 35,000? Yes. Yeah. 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 It's just not, it's not going to yeah. happen that way, unfortunately. It's tough. Cricket. All right, who's, who's going to replace him quickly? We've been we're going on again. Who, who's in the box seat? Obviously, you know, we've got, uh, we've got local options. I am terrified. Frank Farina, Ernie Merrick. I am terrified. Steve Coke will be taking, the, Merrick, taking the reins for this weekend. You are? I'm terrified they're going to go with Ernie Merrick. Everything suggests that they could seriously be considering it, but I think it would show a huge disconnect between the fans and the, the, the team if that was to happen. Uh, there should be some lines you don't cross, and that's one of them, I think. Roots, I've, I've got sports bets odds here, and you're $34. <laughs> Keep money in your pocket. <laughs> Still ahead of Robbie so Slater. Was it 51? Sporter at 51 is actually coaching him this week with Bimby, so I don't know why they've got my $51. They get a win, he might be putting his hand up. You never know. <laughs> it's a big hand to put up. Is yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, look, um, it would be a reunion between, with uh, Gary Cole and Ernie Merrick, of course, the team that, that basically they can't built... They can Ernie Merrick, surely. I'm just saying it would be a reunion, um, but I don't think it'll happen. I think it'll end up uh, with an Italian coach. That's my feeling. Okay. Somewhere All right, there. that's it for part two. We'll be back in part three to have a, a chat with our special guest, Mark <laughs> Rudin, joins us after the break. 
You know business could be better. You know you need more skills, but you also know you haven't got time to learn those skills. Go to workshops or listen to webinars. Don't stress. Listen to Business Success Radio for all the latest ideas to make your business a success. Get your business on track with the right advice from dozens of Australia's leading business experts in your office, your car or on your phone. Go to businesssuccessradio.com.au and click the Listen Live button. Business Success Radio. Your business, your radio. Back to 442 Insider. Hello, welcome back to this week's 442 Insider podcast. We're now going to focus our attention on our special guest, Mark Rudin. So, Mark, talk to us about um, that sort of period in your career after playing in Australia, Europe, Asia when you realise it, it's sort of coming to an end and you start thinking about what's next, obviously coaching and, and the media has proven your sort of chosen route. How did that sort of come about? Uh, yeah, yeah, look, t- tough. Um, it wasn't easy when, when, I first, when I first stopped playing. Um, it, was, it was actually very, very hard. Um, I, I was lucky. I mean, coaching is something that I always wanted to do and something that I prepared myself for for quite a while. Kept a diary of you know, places that I was overseas and everything like that. And... Um, just found out that there was no option in the A-League, really. You know, that's one of the reasons why I went to Adelaide was to coach and, and, and really Abid Mar brought me over and everything else. But um, when he took over the national team, the Oli Roos, he sort of made my decision easier to go back home to Sydney. Um, family, my, my wife was obviously ecstatic to, about that as well, um, having gone and been all, all around the place. Um, and then I just started, uh, I put, booked myself in for, for a C licence back then um, and I've built my way up now and to, to the A. Uh, trying to find the right opportunity as well to, to coach. A, a few sort of came my way, but I didn't think it was the right one. Uh, I had a, a stint with Rockdale in the Premier League, New South Wales Premier League. Really enjoyed that and, and um, got some you know, good feedback from the players as well, which is always important. But um, it's important to know and just to be yourself when it comes to coaching. And, and a lot of the stuff that I've been uh, learning, not just from my journal and, uh, with, with sessions and, and what coaches say and what they don't say, um, also, you know, going through the licences and learning how to conduct a session properly and, and doing it the right way. Um, I thought I knew quite a bit, having not gone through the licences, I must admit, but I knew not, didn't really know that much in terms of how to actually you know, conduct a session and, and when to stop it and what to say and what to look out for and the messages that you give to your players to make sure that they understand what you're doing. Uh, that's been a real helping curve and I think the best thing is to actually just get myself in there and, and do it myself. and. It was a bit of a risk. I, I spoke to a couple of people that, that I really respected in terms of should I take this job on as my first job. Um, but I always saw myself being a, a senior a senior management or a senior coach. Uh, I see myself working in that field. I've got aspirations, obviously, to go to the A-League and, and beyond. Um, you know, go to Asia as well. Uh, having played there, you know, I've still got a lot of good contacts there and, and I've seen some friends of mine that um, who are now coaching in, in Japan as well and, and um, have started over there and have played over there. So... Uh, so it, you know, we'll see what happens, but it was a tough time. Uh, I must admit, it was a tough time when I stopped playing. Um, you know, the routine stops. Uh, you, you don't go through uh, the normal things. You don't put your body through what you want to put your body through as well. Everyone's different. I thoroughly enjoyed the, playing the game. My body was telling me to stop, though. That's that's the problem. Um, but it, it was hard. It, it was hard not um, getting the most out of yourself every week. Um, it was hard not not um, not winning or having that feeling of winning a football match with your teammates uh, every week. Uh, it was hard not to then finding out how, how hard your body has worked 
and, and actually and how sore it was for a couple of days thereafter as tough as and as much as that hurt I missed that feeling yeah you know and yeah. um it's just, uh, yeah, I still play, you know, I still play with mates and I'm, in, you know, six aside there with, with a couple of boys and stuff like that. So I'll, I'll continue playing as long as, long as I can. But, but when you stop, uh, it's, it's not easy. But you sort of, I, I uh, threw myself into a couple of business interests that I had with, with some friends as well, just to keep my body and my mind t- ticking over more than anything else. And, and I really threw myself into that and it was quite a lot of hard work. That's for the media. The media is a funny one, actually. I remember... Murray Shaw was at, at Fox and, um, you know, I sort of used to see him after games um, every now and again and he sort of made mention of it as well. Think, you know, did, what about the media? Would you, you know, you can string a sentence or two together and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, yeah, not, 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 not really, not really, not for me. You know, while I was still playing, you know, I sort of had a, not a good relationship with certain Junos, uh, I must admit, and um, never thought I'd, I'd find myself now working in the media. But I must say that I really, really enjoy what I do as well. I'm, I'm in, a, in and around it and, and actually, I'm very lucky to, to have a job and, um, you know, talking about a game that I love, um, going out to games and watching them live and, and talking to players or coaches, interacting with fans. Um, you're still part of the game, and a part of me feels that it's still there. Um, I haven't lost the game altogether. All I mean, I'd still be loving it and, and watching it, but I'm involved in it, and, that, and that's great. But I guess also look, looking at the, the games unfolding from your media position now is also helping you as a coach because you're looking at that going, what would I have done differently there and how would I approach this? What would I do at half-time now? Absolutely. Yeah. It goes without saying, absolutely. And, and I mean, I'd, I'd be doing that if I wasn't in the media anyway. I'd be recording it on Fox and, um, <laughs> and, and doing it that way and making sure I watched the, the games over you know, throughout the week. So, um, look, yeah, absolutely. It just, it just means that I'm watching it live and I can pick up things live. And, and if you want to really replicate it and, and, and to do it properly, it, it's good to watch the things live and then think or assess it and say, what would I say now to my team? Yeah. Based on what I've just seen right now, and I've got the opportunity to actually say something at half time. So it's great. In that, how, how, do you find it difficult to, or, or do you get stick from people that you've played with or have coached you that you're now in that role where you are critiquing them at hmm. half time and full time? That's sometimes a difficult position to be in as a, as a recently former player. Um, yeah. Have you found that hard? Yeah, it wasn't easy uh, initially, but um, you know I've always been someone that's that's, that's quite strong, and, and I'm not too bothered or swayed by what other people think about me. I've been called a lot of things under the sun, you know, and so I'm not I'm not too bothered by what people thoughts are. I think that you know the, the, the real friends uh, will understand what your job is. You know, no one likes being told, but again, like I said, you know, friends of mine that I've played with, I've given them. You know, abuse on the training paddock, and they've given me some as well. So it's nothing that I wouldn't say on a pitch to you. That's right. Yeah. So if I'm going to say it now, it, the difference is I'm saying it to an audience. But he obviously knows how I feel and what I'm like as a person. It's the ones that haven't played with me that don't, that don't know me. Um, you know, can can make their own judgment. And either way, I'm not too fast. I'm not. I'm not there to be liked. To be honest, now if I, I've never. I was never there, or I was never a player who 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 played the game to be liked. I was there to win win football matches and then help my teammates win a football match. Um, you know, so in the media, I'm not, I'm not too bothered what people think about me um, in terms of if I if I if they agree or don't. It's always nice when people agree with you. Let's not kid ourselves. But I've got people that don't agree with what I say, and at the end of the day, that's the beauty of our game. We we shouldn't discourage people from having an opinion. I think it's very very important. You know, it's there is no right, there is no wrong. It's just a people's opinion. It's a person's opinion, and we should just respect that and 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 talk and and whether it be argue or have a conversation about that. And I think that's something that's really um, that I've been. Uh, really happy with actually that there's been a lot more conversations going on about not just the alley but the Socceroos and, and, and where we are as a game today. I go to cafes and pubs and I hear people 
you know, whether they're you know hard you know blue blue collar workers or white collar work talking about our game. That's just I think that's the most important thing. But yeah, it was hard. It was hard initially, um, and I still get people you know texting me or calling me. And you'd be surprised who they are. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not going to name oh, names. Be, be, yeah, yeah, you, you, must, you, might, you guys get it as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think myself, geez, I thought he was a bit stronger than that. Or he's a bit more thick-skinned, but obviously not. But um, <laughs> it's, 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 it's part and parcel of it, you know. Uh, it's not easy. For, I can just imagine what it's like uh, for a coach when, when somebody else is, is commenting, commenting on, on what you're doing in, mm. in your football team. And, you know, it's never easy. But then you've got the, the, the chance to, to try and, and rectify that and, and, and tell them what your thoughts are. And, that, and that's how it is. On, on that, I mean, in, you know, is this also, this experience you're having now in the media, potentially part of your finishing school for becoming a coach? Because we've seen... Probably one of the smoothest and most polished media operators in the A League is Ange in terms of the way he deals with people, and and he's come from having that media role himself. So I guess it's part of this. You know, it's impossible. I, I hate when coaches just you know like don't like the media or I hate the media. It's such a cliche. It's such a part of the job now, you know. And so is this almost part of your finishing school for becoming a coach? In that being a coach is sometimes telling players what they don't want to hear, um, and also it's preparing you for that media expectation that will be on you when you get that head coach gig in the A-League. Yeah, very good, Andy. You caught me out, mate. It's, uh, you know, it's, one of, it's, one of, it's one of the reasons why... Um, yeah, one, of the, one of the reasons why... I, I look, I've always... Um, yeah, my dream was, is to coach, you know, and, my, and it always has been to coach. And then I think uh, being part of the media... And again, it's, it's, it's relentless. It's, it can be ruthless, the media and coaching. And I've decided to put myself into a position where they're both uh, jobs or areas where you can get the sack after a week or you know or, or a month. But again, I love living on the edge. I, I love not knowing what my next uh, job's going to be or where I'm going to be. As a player, I didn't really. Even though you've got a three-year plan, you never know if you're going to be there for for a month or six months. And part the coach of, might walk out after. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, you never, yeah, yeah. Once, yeah, you never never know. But I think if I have a look at um, you know part of my makeup. You know, when, when, I, when I sit down and, and assess, and it's always important to assess where you're at. If I'm really honest with myself, that's part of what I enjoy, and, and part of me gets a kick out of not knowing what I'm going to do tomorrow, um, and living you know, your life. And, you know, I know another cliche is living your life to its best and to its fullest, but live it, live it for, for, for today, and and not knowing too far ahead for me is a great thing because I give so much more of myself to what I've got right now, whatever my, my job is and, and whatever I need to do to succeed or whatever uh, whatever the challenge is, I, I continue to, to put or throw challenges in front of me because I really love a challenge. Um, and, and that's in some way sort of replaced what you used to get as a player. Maybe, that yeah. Is that challenge? Day, different challenge Absolutely, yeah. And, and the media, is, like I said, is like that. There is no guarantee there. There's no guarantee in coaching. There's no guarantee that your business is going to work out. I mean, if I wanted uh, a guarantee, I'd, I, maybe I... I you know, I started off at uni having an education. I decided to to to, to walk out of that. My what father, sports science. You know, down at the P in there. At, um, after the Institute of Sport. So, um, you know, my dad wasn't very happy with the fact that I walked away from it. Um, he was actually he didn't know because he was a, he was a builder. He used to get up nice and early and come home late and, and things like that. Never knew what I did during the day, really. But um, when I was lazing around, when I came home from the institute and I went to Sydney United. He thought that I was studying, and I was. But then thereafter, <laughs> when Branko decided to have uh, morning sessions, and became we became a full-time setup or, or a club. Um, you know, I remember he said to me and said, "You know, other boys are doing it, and if you don't do it, you know, I can't promise you anything." But um, 
So I said, right, away with the studies, I'm, I'm going to do this. Now, I've had opportunities to do it by, you know, through correspondence and everything else, but uh, like I said, I was just so into what I was doing in, in terms of my playing career that I wanted to give maximum of myself. Um, and, you know, I, I could have, you know, been a teacher. I could have done whatever, you know. I think you're pretty secure in those sort of jobs. Um, you can, you know, there are a lot of jobs out there that, that give you a lot of security. These, you know, being a footballer isn't one of them. Uh, being a pundit or, or doing some media work isn't one of them. Being a coach certainly isn't one of them. But they're three things that I enjoy, um, and we'll see where it, where it takes me. Okay. I mean, as as a former, you know, as a Sydney player, um, the Cove had their... Mark Rudan is a big blue man chant for you. Mm. I mean, how, how does that feel as a player when, when the fans sort of single you out and create a, a chant that's just for you? I mean, you talk about that, that yeah. feeling that you missed and that feeling of being yeah. loved as a player. Part of that comes from your coach. Part of that comes from the fans. I mean, you yeah. always have a great relationship with the fans. Yeah, look, at, um, it was special at Sydney FC, I must admit, and um, had some great times there and something that I'll never forget, my times there. And like you said, I had some really good, uh, a really good relationship with the fans. Um, yeah, I remember that last game that I had as well when they hung around for quite a while after the stadium and things like that. I was quite emotional that, that night. I don't believe me, don't get emotional at all. Just ask my wife, you know. I don't think she's <laughs> seen me cry ever before and, and, and things like that. But um, yeah, it's beautiful. It's a really beautiful feeling to have. It, it makes you feel special. It makes you feel wanted. Um, I still remember when you when you when I would put a tackle in at the club and the, the chant would start. And I'm not going to lie, you can't hear those things, and it does inspire you. It does it does switch you on. And you talk about concentration in games. One thing that I speak about to my players is making sure that you're always switched on, Constant, always concentrating, whether it be through your passing drill, or if you're playing in a possession game, or whatever it is, always stay switched on. And I will say, having that, and sometimes you switch off. You do you switch off and you switch on as a player. When you hear your fans start singing. You know, a song about you. If it's funny how that con- those concentration levels just switch on again, and you're and you're right in the game mm. because you're getting some love from from the fans that you obviously respect. And um, yeah, that that was probably the biggest thing. Um, and then again, you know, only a couple of weeks ago, I remember going there when Newcastle played against Sydney, um, and 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 they started again. Now, you know, sometimes uh, you think, oh, it's been a while since I left. I was at the club, and and that really meant a lot. I, m- I must admit that quite. I was quite emotional to, to, to hear that. Um, and I walked away thinking, you know, geez, that was good. That, that was really nice of him to do that. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really have that at any Those $31 odds are short yeah, by a minute, I reckon. <laughs> 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 Everyone remembers the type of player that you were, you know, very much a leader on the park. You know, what style and, and, and is it a conscious decision that you've made in terms of this, the style of coach that you want to be? Um, you know, and because very much as a, as a player it, a, a, and one of a squad, it's okay to have a very single-minded approach. This is the sort of player that I'm at, that I am. But as a coach, you've probably got a bit more, be a bit more flexible. And some players need an arm around their shoulder, some need to kick up the backside. How have you sort of taken Mark Rudan as the, uh, the player and reinvented yourself? What's your style as a coach? You'd be surprised to hear, Andy, not too much. Yeah. Um, I don't compromise. I do not compromise. That, that's one thing that I don't do. If I think it's for the good of the team, it's going to be that way. Um, as, a, as, a, as a player uh, and, and someone that's captain clubs, I used to throw my hand around players as well. I used to, and that's what you don't see a lot of the times too. People might see what they see during a football match and, and see me, uh, whatever the case may be, doing, doing my, my, my thing. But in training, I, I was quite tough. And, and there are players... Funnily enough, who didn't like at the time, but I, I thought, particularly in season one, let's, if you want to use Sydney as, a, as an example, 
we knew we were going to be a team to beat, particularly when Dwight York came over. So it was my job then, I thought, these younger players had to understand nice and early that you've got to toughen up. If you want to be part of this team, toughen the hell up. And and part of it was through training sessions or, t- you know, or, or whatever it may be, or going going through a couple of them, not to say that's a good thing, but just to toughen them up. And then also chatting with them and, and making sure they did extras in the training paddock. And look, you know, there's a lot of expectations here with this club. We need you guys to grow up very, very quickly because we had a lot of them. It was a f- when you had a look at our squad, we had a lot of senior players, a lot of experienced players. We had a lot of young players, not too many in between. Right? Mm-hmm. So I felt it was my job to do that. Now, the guys who I thought were a little bit softer in their mentality and the guys that didn't understand the messages that I was trying to bring across walked away from it and aren't playing today. The guys that are still playing are the ones that didn't like it but were then called two, three years down the track and say, Ruth, I understood what you were talking about, mate. You know, I appreciate that as well. So as, as, as much as you know, people think that oh, it was just one way, it's not. You know, I, I am someone that, that if I, I believe in, in what I want to do and I won't compromise that. And I'm, very, I'm, I'm quite a disciplinarian, I, I must admit. You know, I expect certain things from, from players if, because I expect them from myself. And I'll never ask any player to do things that I never did. Um, there are certain things that off the park that I ask my players... Well, I don't want to tell my players not to do either because without t- going into detail, you know, it's hypocritical of me to say that I never enjoyed a drink after a game or two, right? So I'm not going to ask one of my players not to do that either, you know? All, all I really care about is what you do on the paddock and, you know, that, that that's where you'll be assessed by and large, right? Um, and the most important uh, training session of the week is the game. And, and then we'll, we'll reassess things thereafter. But no, no different to as a coach. I, I think uh, I like to think I'm, I'm approachable. I, I like to think that I'm, you know I can be quite tough at times as well. Um, I'm not too too worried about what the players think of me. I'm also not there to be their friends. To that, that's that's quite obvious. Uh, but I can be very caring as well. It, it, particularly, you know, I've got a. Very much a softer side of me, would you believe, as well, you know? And, and some, some players will probably vouch for that, you know? There are a lot, lot of things that, um, that I do for my players, whether, whether I was still playing. Um, there are players that I'm still in contact with now to make sure that they uh, become the right people that I believe they, they can be. Uh, I'm big on not just good footballers, but good people as well. Um, I've got relationships with, with people that probably I never thought I'd have from a long time ago, but they've developed... Um, and they've de- developed themselves, and their football career has gone a long way as well. So, um, yeah, I'm always there for for any any person. It's it's just whether or not um, one they want that because a lot of players don't don't want feedback or are happy to go their own way. I've got their own people surrounding them um, to tell them what's right and what's wrong. Um, so not too much, you know. If I think you know, a player needs a, a hug, I'll give them a hug. If I think I need a player needs to to be bullocked, I'll, I'll, I'll give them you know, a good, good, good uh, kick up the backside. I think uh, it, it's important to to be both. Um, but one one thing is that I'm very very clear on on what I want, and um, and I believe that I want all my players to to understand that, and it's my job to make them believe that as well. And if they do, I believe there'll be success, success along the way. Well, the three of us are sat here. <laughs> We're convinced. <laughs> anyway, yes, future A League coach yeah, Mark yeah. Rudin, Sam Fraser. <laughs> one, one lighter point: I was, you're active on Twitter. You have been for a while. Not as I active mean, as some. some I, mean, but, where, you know. I mean, do you, you know that that's sort of like a phenomenon that's really coming after you. Your yeah. playing career has mm. stopped. I mean, we've seen players get in trouble on Twitter. We've seen players use it quite well. We've seen media people on Twitter. I mean, what, what's your view? That I mean, as a coach now. 
there are so many things that you have to be aware of and your players have to be aware of social media is now a massive part of that um I mean, do you think it's a good thing for players and, and coaches and club officials to be on Twitter? I think so. Why not? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Why not? I, I think uh, the world we live in today is different to the world we lived in 20 years ago. You know, we're, we're much more closer to each other than what you think. Um, and I think we should embrace that. Uh, I think it's a good thing. I also think that it's, it's you know, you can see someone, you might walk past past them and, and you might have been in a conversation in a group, in a, in a, in a table, and, and he hasn't said much, but and you think you walk away thinking, oh, didn't really like that guy. Didn't really get involved. But then you read some of the stuff he he, he says, and, and you think, hang on a sec, this guy's got something about him. He, you know, he's got a bit of humour about him or whatever. So, it's uh, yeah, we're getting to know each other a little bit more as well. And I think um, that's always good. I think as a world as one, I think it's important that uh, we get to know each other a little bit more intimately. You know, it's it's, it's a it's, it can be a cruel world out there. Um, there's a lot of things going on around the world, and and a lot of things that we were oblivious to before. A lot of people didn't know certain things, you know, by, by using Twitter or whatever the case may be. We were a lot closer and we, were, and we got news at hand um, straight away, whereas before we didn't. From a football perspective, I think it's always good, particularly the players, when they when they get involved. I know the Perth boys love having a bit of a laugh, and I think yeah. that's great. They, yeah. you know, some of the banter that goes on, on on Twitter is all part and parcel of it. I think they've got to be careful. When, I think when, when they start... Um, I know... I know I know Pascal um, tweeted that he was in the team on, on Saturday a lot earlier than because we had uh, Corica on on Fox as well, and we we actually mentioned the fact that Pascal had said that he's in, right? And he said, "Well, done, we haven't given our first eleven out yet, you know, and stuff like that." That's yeah, when you've yeah, got to be a little bit careful yeah, in yeah. terms of what you do and how, and how you use it. But otherwise, embrace it. Why not? I think it's always good, you know. I prefer. I do prefer the, the the you know people who who are honest, um, whether that's good or bad, just just their, their honest opinions. Uh, there's a lot of haters out there as well, you know, and you know, but t- today it's it's easy just to. I think you can stop them, can't you? Yeah, somehow. you yeah, can block yeah. them or, or whatever. But, but, but as a coach, you know, we've talked about you know obviously Ian Crook's departure and, and subsequently people have mentioned you know the fact that everybody's got an opinion these days mm. and social media has given the outlet for yeah. the average person to have a, what some people might consider an uninformed opinion. But, mm. you know, as a coach now, is it is it a case of more so than ever that thick skin? That, oh, you know, absolutely. I don't, I, don't, I don't care what you think of me. Like, that yeah. single-mindedness to succeed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, I think Ian Crook's the only one that's actually, of all the A-League coaches, was, was on Twitter. I mean, I think he stopped... Quite, quite a while ago when he got the job and he became a little bit more serious. You know, when, when, when pre-season start, stopped and the, and the season regular started, I think he found it a lot harder to... And we, we spoke about that. But, um, again, you've got to... I may well delete my, my, um, my account as well if I ever get a gig, mate, in the, in the, yeah. because it can be quite tough, you know. I mean, you know, Crookie was getting some, you know, some things set to him which I didn't think he deserved, yeah. you know. And, and I yeah. think, you know, at the end of the day, he put himself out there as yeah, well. Yeah, so you can't, you can't have it when it, things are going well and not when things exactly. are going badly. You Just know? either don't have it at all or, yeah. or, or have yeah. it. So I think each coach has makes their own mind up in terms of... Not all of us can right. be the mayor of Gosford who started on Twitter. <laughs> no, that's right, else. exactly. Let's not forget <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that. Laurie, the man of the people, mate. It's, um, <laughs> yeah, why not, you know? He's, uh, he's doing well for himself now anyway. Brilliant. All right, well, look, let's, let's move straight in. We won't have a break. Let's go straight into the fixtures this weekend um, for round seven. Sydney uh, SC straight back into the action, first up away at Brisbane Raw. Um, two teams underperforming at the moment. Um, Brisbane have shown with their, uh, when they click, it's still there. They've uh, they put five past Melbourne victory earlier in the season. Uh, Kev? 
How do you see this one going? Uh, Steve Corker and Zelka Kalac in charge? Yeah, I think this could be the test for Rado, to be honest. It could be the test for Roar's philosophers to whether they're going to stick with um, Rado in the hot seat. If Rado loses this match, I think he should go, personally. Sydney are at their weakest uh, in terms of uh, structure and uh, self-belief, I think, at the moment with Crook's departure. Uh, Steve Corica in charge, caretaker coach. If Roar can't get a win against them, who can they get a win against, in my opinion? Do you agree with that? I mean, you know, if you were, if you were in that Sydney side right now, and the you know the coach has walked out, someone that you like, respect, you know, wouldn't that have a rallying effect on the boys that are left to say, all right, come on, you know, we're better than this. Let's go out there, and what better chance than to go to the champions? Um, and let's all dig in, and and maybe this is the unifying event that they need, you know, for some of those people to stand up and get those younger players and say, right, we need to do this, you know, let's not be putting our hand up after 70 minutes, you know, we need to mm. come off that pitch with nothing left, you know. I agree, I, I, I do agree, uh, I think the key to this is just how much they want to, you know, the players are always different, you know, sometimes players play for coaches and sometimes they don't, yeah, and, and um, Bimby's been there for a long time now, Corica. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he goes in his first work and whether players are going to rally behind him as well, and Spider for that matter. And that's going to be a key indicator here as well. Does he get his message across? Um, are the boys right right behind him uh, as well? So time will tell. I mean, if the respective coaches out there, if they're going to go local, um, they'll be watching this game. So it puts every player on notice. And, and it could be a good motivator for the players, for Bimby maybe to, to, to say something along those lines. So it's not just about him if he wants to get the best out of his players because you're always looking trying to get the best out of them. Um, and, and it's, it's not an easy one uh, this week, particularly with Crookie. I mean, it could, like you said, it could work both ways. But I think... Bimby knowing that he's not going to be the top man, he's just he's just looking over the squad for the week. It's important that he gets his his plan. In, in, I don't think he's going to change too much to the, to the way they were playing anyway. They've tried a few different formations too, but um, like Kev said, you know Brisbane, Brisbane's a, it's a big one for them. Look, I I, I see Brisbane winning this at home. I, I think they've got a lot more um, going against them than what Sydney have right now, and uh, and I think they'll be back at their best. Okay, predictions? Yeah, I think Brisbane. Should win, uh, win, yeah, and I'd probably say one if Barisha's back in two two nil if he's not playing. two home wins so far. Ado, no, I think Sydney can come up with the goods on this one. I think uh, I think the scenario suits them playing away away from the pressure of playing at home, um, you know, good pitch. Um, so I think that I think we can win this one. All right, I'm gonna sit on the fence and go draw. <laughs> All right, Melbourne Heart, the back of a, a resounding win uh, last weekend. They travelled to Adelaide, nearly the easiest place to go. Adelaide flying high, joint top of the table. Ado, how'd you see this one go? Yeah, Adelaide's favourite son coming back to coach the opposition in this game. Um, yeah, two fairly similar sides, pretty direct. Um, it's hard to pick this one though, so I'll go for a draw. Oh, Kev? I think uh, Adelaide will win this one. Uh, again, with Hearts win over victory and Hearts win over Brisbane Roar. I think the, the score lines and the results flatter the, the side, to be honest. They're still a work in progress. Uh, and I think Adelaide will exploit that quite uh, dramatically this weekend. I can see 2-0. Okay, great. Yeah, I'm with Adelaide uh, for the fact... I, I just think uh, the Hearts are a very good counter-attacking side. And, and, um, and against Adelaide, Adelaide are very compact, very organised. They, they, they start... Um, their front line around the edge of the D so they make sure they get back into a certain area rather than pressing nice and high 
Um, and I think uh, Adelaide got the players that can work around them and in between them. Yeah, I agree. I think I think Hart picked off Raw very well on the counter. I don't think they'll get that amount of space on the counter this week. So I think I think it'll be tight. I think I'll probably go Adelaide one 0 All right, big game this victory. Um, obviously, massive win away at Sydney. Um, not just the result, but the manner of the result will uh, will give them a huge boost uh, for the Mariners coming to town. This game has produced some crackers in the past. Um, the odd red card, I think, as well. Um, Roots, how do you see this one going? Uh, cracking game. I, I can't wait. You've got you know, the, the team Melbourne Victory, uh, the informed team of the league in Central Coast against the informed probably the, over the last fortnight in Melbourne Victory are really starting to hit their straps right now and um, playing some really good stuff. It's going to be interesting to see how they sort of getting behind and, and in between lines against uh, against Central Coast. It's going to be a, a battle of tactics, yeah. You've got, you've got one side that likes to stay organised and, you know, get, gets behind the ball and, and tries to get players um, or, or teams on the counter with, with Central Coast more so through their width. And then you've got Melbourne Victory who just like passing through and in between lines. Um, it'd be interesting to see also whether he goes to a diamond again uh, because a lot of teams now understand how, how much strength they have got centrally um, Melbourne Victory. Um, and if they do go into those areas, they then look to spread the balls out to Rojas and Archie Thompson. So does he stay with two holding midfielders, or does he go with a, a diamond midfield again? So battle of tactics there. We'll see what happens in the first 10, 15 minutes. Look, I like the victory. I like the victory yeah. at home. Yeah, I think they've got their backs up. I think they're, 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 yeah, they're, they're quite confident right now. Yeah, I, I think tactically, I think it'll be fascinating because the Mariners very strong defensively. Um, but victory is a different challenge. You know, there's there's no number nine there to mark. You know, Thompson or Ross Flores dropping deep, ask questions of the central defenders that they don't normally get asked in terms of their discipline. As in, do they drop? Do they move forward? Leave the space behind them? I think it's yeah. going to be a, a real interesting tactical battle. Ado, what do you think? And some returning players from international duty. So there'll be, there'll be McGlinchey and Rojas, um, and then Rogic. of course Rogic, Milligan, Archie. and Archie. So mm-hmm. that's all going to have a, a factor into how uh, he picks his starting eleven. I think this is going to be two of the be- I think they are the two best coaches in the league by far. Um, hard to pick it, but I think it will be absolutely fascinating to watch. Two all I'm going for. Uh, wow. Interestingly, nice. just on uh, Twitter there, I'm seeing that there's a chance this might be delayed. Uh, postponed until uh, Tuesday because of the state the pitching's in after the Coldplay Coldplay concert which apparently so just as a presser later today apparently Um, how about playing it at Amy Park (laughs) (laughs) there's a novel idea what an idea yeah Mm. Uh, if that does happen I think that plays into uh, it wouldn't happen if it was Radiohead Exactly. <laughs> it would be it would have been loads of old people in slippers shuffling. They wouldn't have done any damage to the pit. Yeah. Just got a death stare from Kev. He was at a radio <laughs> concert. <laughs> old people. Anyway, <laughs> all right. So um, that may not go ahead. So let's talk Perth Glory, Western Sydney. Um, Rude Popper, mm. obviously uh, off the back of a defeat, got to take his team out west. Probably one of the toughest away trips. Um, and it, you know, as a coach, much as may have had difficulties to go out there, um, you've done it as a player. Um, you know, how do you approach that to go out there and try and get a result? As a player or as a coach? As, as a coach, how do you think Popper's going to approach uh, look, that? I, I think uh, no one's surprised by the way Perth has, has played, not just this season but last year as well. Um, I, I, for one, am, am really impressed. I look forward to actually watching them play. And that's, there's not too many teams that I can say that about. I actually do really enjoy watching how they're going to play this week. They've got some really good footballers in their team. At home, they're always tough to play against. 
Uh, we know what Fergie's done. He's, he's, he's building a fortress over there. He wants to win all his home games. He understands how important it is to win those home matches for them as well. Look, it's going to be a tough one for the Wanderers. Um, wouldn't surprise if a, a couple of changes are made this week. Uh-huh. And, um, and, I, and I think you can go one or two ways, but I reckon the home team... Um, the home team will, will get this one. I mean, potentially, what areas of change could there be, Reeds? <laughs> potentially. <laughs> I mean, we're just talking well, speculation. Well, look, the goalkeeper led in two goals, but um, no. no, no, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, look, you, 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 with, with some of the players that, you know, have played quite a, quite a number of games right now, um, I think after round six, Popper made mention of, of always giving and making use of all his players. So, um, you know, we, we could well see a couple of changes this week and we're interested to see just exactly what happens. But, yeah, I think Perth, Perth anyway at home, uh, particularly their form and, and um, the way they've been playing and the way they'll approach this game. Uh, they understand it's not going to be easy against them. And I also do think that um, Perth do play better against teams that sort of sit back a little bit and um, uh, and wait for their time to come to. So, yeah, I think Perth for me. Okay. Yeah, Perth for me as well. Uh, I think we're going to run over, over uh, Western Sydney Wanderers. Uh, such an impressive outfit over in Perth at the moment. Uh, I can see them going very far this season again. Yeah, uh, always love watching uh, Liam Miller play. Mm-hmm. Um, although I did have to do double takes. I didn't recognise him with his Movember mo. Oh <laughs> so who's that lad playing for Perth? I Liam Miller. All right, uh, Newcastle Jets, Wellington Phoenix rounds out the, uh, the, the round seven at the Hunter on uh, on Sunday. Ado. Phoenix yeah. off the back of a defeat. Jets with a great away win at Western Sydney. Yeah, you, you Pesky will obviously score. Yes. Um, what would <laughs> <or> the, <laughs> yes, the result be? Yeah. yeah, look, it, Wellington, a uh, difficult few weeks for them, and now they've got to go on the road again. Um, and then I think they go to Perth after that, so they're on the road for two weeks, I think. Um, it's hard not to pick Newcastle for this one and Heskey to score. Um, what can I say? I think it's going to be a Jets win. I think uh, we've got to start asking questions of Ricky here, though, to be honest, because the bottom five clubs on the, the ladder, four are rookie coaches plus Ricky. Mm. Uh, I mean, I know they've, they've had a few... Ricky's not a rookie. R- Ricky's mm. not a rookie. <laughs> no. uh, but Ricky's acting like a rookie uh, mm. in terms of the ladder. He's... Uh, I can't see where the weakness is with the side either, to be honest, because it's a pretty good side Phoenix has got on paper. They lost Tim Brown, and it seems to be having much more effect on them than I was expecting. I think probably a lot of other people noticed this morning that Pavlovich is leaving the club by mutual consent, which is usually uh, A-League speak for, we've got somebody else we want to bring in. Uh, I'm not quite sure who that is, to be honest. Uh, that's why I was asking you off the air if you'd heard from Carney recently. Uh, Kuehl was another potential, but I've not heard of any contact between him and uh, New Zealand. So who knows? But it does seem that they've got somebody they're going to bring in. Uh, they need to make some changes, obviously, because it's not going well for them. I mean, it's, it's still early days, though, Rude. I mean, you know, they've played six games, they've got five points, you know... You, They've been competitive pretty much in every game, Wellington. You know, mm. they're they're there or thereabouts. You know, they're two wins away from being in third. Oh, you know, well, absolutely. Fourth. Yeah, you know, it's like players have played international football on the weekend as well. Yeah. Oh, sorry, in midweek, mm. the China international tonight. I mean, if I look at Phoenix when I've seen them play, you, the, 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 and you looking at them, there's not an awful lot wrong. Mm. They probably just need to capitalise when they've had periods where they've dominated games. They haven't really mm. probably capitalised on it. You know, they they should have won at Melbourne Heart. You know, they didn't. You know, they, they, you look at that that win there. Yeah. It puts them up equal with but, Melbourne Heart. Yeah, you know, but you say that. You know, but margin. you say we're only six games into the season. But we're only six games into the season. And already they're eight points off the lead. Mm. 
Yeah, but I think you know, not, I, I, mean, I don't think you, anyone's you, sitting here at the start of the season saying Wellington Phoenix are gonna are gonna be a top two or three side. It, yeah, but success for them is making the finals. Kevin, Kevin's yeah. the, the point he's making as yeah. well because you know, in another in another four weeks' time, you're 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 going to ten rounds. You don't want to be too far off. And when you say two two wins out of the top six. You, yeah, it's not easy to, to get those two games back anymore, and you've got yeah. to win those two games as well. So, yeah, look, it, it's it's always good to get off to a good start, and and the, the teams up there, like Adelaide and Central Coast, are really starting to get a bit of a you know a bumping or a bit of a spread on, on the rest of the teams there, and, and they get a bit of, a bit of luxury as well in terms of their wins. Um, uh, and, and anything can happen. It just means that there's less pressure on these teams, and again, you can throw um, a, a lot of things into the ring in terms of how teams are playing. And, and the one thing that you said, Andy, as well, that makes a lot of sense is that there isn't too much between teams anymore. That's the beauty of our competition. That's the beauty of our league. And, and it is going to come down to who who really... The, the small details and then who works hard in those small details, which will depend... You know, it could be the difference between three and, and zero points as well in the game, you know, and, yeah. or two points or, uh, and, or three points or, or one point, you know. So and two points in this competition means a hell of a lot. So if you can win where you should have really drawn a game... Um, because you've done your homework and because you've got the edge on whatever the case may be, can really be a factor in this. But I do agree that the longer it goes, it, it does become harder because it's, it's only, you, might, you might say it's only, there are only two wins out of the top six or the top... But two wins is two wins. You yeah, can't, you can't yeah. buy it in this competition. It's so hard to get a win in the first place that making it two in a row it makes it all that more difficult. I mean, are we, are we seeing potentially Phoenix's eye off the ball from a coaching perspective and a big chunk of their players because they're going through the World Cup qualifying process you know they're sharing the coach a uh, big chunk of the players you know let's do that there's no relegation from this league so their, their status is safe priority for them surely over the next 12 months is qualifying for a second World Cup yeah look it's been an issue though that um, that they've understood uh, for a long time, and Ricky Herbert's done the bo- both very, very well. He, he's all, it's always he always comes down to who his assistant is. You know, people have spoken about Ricky. And he's he's the old style manager. You know, he's he's a he's a guy that doesn't really do too many of the sessions. He's not really on the field conducting as such. He's he's someone that sort of coaches from above. He has a look over things and and, and then puts his own input in every now and again when he feels like it. So. He's got a big role. He's got a big job. He's a big figure in in, in Kiwi football as well, in New Zealand football. And um, you know, the, obviously, obviously, having coached the national team, and then with Wellington fits in well. The players understand the situation, and they're, they're what they've got going over there for them. And, um, and Andrew Trento is right behind that. You know, is is, is making sure that the club culture there is one of one of which that whoever comes in understands what the club's all about. And you know, it's them against us type mentality. And we've got an Aussie, you know, talking who's going to become a Kiwi, in Andrew Trento as well. Who's, who's giving it the old, those Aussies when he's one himself, which I don't appreciate too much, Dura, right? <laughs> but, anyway, but you understand what I'm saying? So yeah. when you've got that right behind you, you've got that motivation to try and, and play well all the time. I just think it's also important that you've got someone that can coach coach well. Um, and they've, worked, they've done it for the last few years while Ricky's been there. It's worked well. This is going to be a test. It's, it's, not, it's not good seeing them where they're at the, at the moment. Um, but... My understanding is that Ricky's really got a stranglehold on a lot of things football in that country. So I think it's yeah. his decision whether he wants to walk away, not somebody else's. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I, I guess if you'd have said to Ricky Herbert, after six rounds you'll be one point ahead of Brisbane Raw, 
I'll take that bet. For me, this, this will be an absolute barnstormer because it's it's round two. Four red cards in the preseason in this game in the Hunter. I think a few players will have a few scores to fill. This could be the three red card game that we've been waiting for. Yeah. Alright, that's it. A mammoth podcast with a few technical difficulties in the middle. Um, just to finally uh, play that out the magazine, new issues out on sale today. Um, if you want to know what Lionel Messi thinks about when he's clean through on goal, we can now answer that world-exclusive interview with Messi uh, about the secrets to his goal-scoring genius. Ado, what else have we got in there? Greatest club goals in the EPL and A-League. Sorry, Reed, you weren't in there. Um, uh, EPL star special, plus next generation of superstars featuring Tom Rogic, uh, Raheem Sterling and loads of others. And an interview with Radamel Falcao. So hot mm. right now. So hot. All right, that's on sale now, so buy that. Keep us in a job. Um, we'll be back next week with our podcast. promise we'll try and keep it to less than an hour and a half next week. But Kev, Aido, Mark, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll be back next me. week. 442 Insider is a Helms Media Solutions production. Visit helms.com.au to find out more about our services.